The economy is getting back underway and with it, the world of pro sports. Stay ahead of the curve with the unparalleled tools of two world-class news desks covering developments across finance, economics, technology, and sports. Subscribe to Bloomberg.com. And if you are not already an athletic subscriber, for a limited time, receive a complimentary subscription to The Athletic. Go to Bloomberg.com slash subscribe to sign up today. Hey, folks, welcome into On to Waveland. It's the Chicago Cubs podcast here at The Athletic. I am Brett Taylor, joined by Sahadev Sharma and Patrick Mooney of The Athletic. And it is wonderful to know that the tenor of the conversation that we are going to have with you today changed uh, entirely. Well, maybe not entirely, but on one swing of the bat. And, you know, it's funny if you hadn't seen the game and I said something like, you know, uh, the Cubs having lost four in a row, including the first half of doubleheader against the Cardinals, uh, looked like they were going to flub their way into a fifth straight loss last night when a pinch hitter came in and absolutely crushed a three-run homer late to dead center. You would know exactly who I was talking about. Even <laughs> if you, I just feel like you would know exactly who I was talking about. Yeah, David Bodie's come up with those heroics before, I guess. It wasn't as dramatic, and but I mean, it was... It felt as surprising, almost. Uh, it was definitely one of those things where... I think a lot of people had written their stories and and were just kind of chalking up uh, another loss and uh, you know what does this say blah 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 all that stuff and and you know I it was it was definitely one of those moments where I was like wow that happened really fast I was uh, you know writing this game off and the offense has just been in a major funk and I figured that would continue but and not that it fixed all their flaws and and suddenly all those offensive issues we were worried about uh, have gone away but uh, you know a win is a win and and just like a 13 and 3 start you know with flaws is uh counts so does that win last night i mean they're 14 and 7 you can point out all the issues that they have they're a first place team right now and and in a 60 game season they've set themselves up uh really nicely going forward yeah, I mean, it's really hard to take Brett seriously when he's not chugging a beer uh, on our Zoom call here. I That was the highlight for me when I checked Twitter uh, postgame. Uh, that was pretty amazing. You can, you can say terribly chugging a beer, like just <laughs> humblingly, awfully chugging a beer. I, I, I approved. Uh, I think that was the highlight for me, but otherwise – uh, yeah, because that was just something different as opposed to I feel like the conversations we've had about the Cubs offense for years now, and I'm as guilty of this as anyone. Uh, you know, last week we all got caught up in the Cubs going back to Cleveland and making comparisons to 2016, uh, and now we're writing not hitting the panic button uh, type stories, but I guess that's just going to be the nature of this uh 60 game season which is honestly more fun than the Cubs telling us hey it's it's a long season um like all the way into September. Yeah, I think that uh, and you guys have both touched on this in recent pieces at the Athletic. I mean, I'm writing similar things at Bleacher Nation. We're struggling with this uh, 
this balance of knowing that it is simultaneously very early in the year, but also very late in the year, knowing that the uh, we can't extrapolate much from 21 games worth of stats, but we have to extrapolate something. And um, that's just some nerds writing words. I mean, I can't imagine the mental backflips you're doing as a player you know, when you are, you're now over a third of the way through the season. And obviously the Cubs results as a team have been fantastic. They're 14 and seven. I mean, look, they had a four game losing streak. To me, there was a lot of noise in that in the weekend series against the Brewers. I think a couple of those games could have easily gone the other way. I, I just don't, I don't know how much they tell you about the team. And yet you go down the line looking at some of these hitters and you, and we can't help it. We look at numbers, right? And it's like, wow, other than Nico Horner, the two worst hitters on the Cubs by a really significant margin are Chris Bryant and Javi Baez. And like their results so far this year, again, through over a third of the season have been just garbage and are not reflect. I don't believe that they are reflective of these guys' actual talent, but those numbers are in black and white now. They're in print. They're in stone. They are staying there. They are going to be a huge chunk of this season. And I just wonder how do you get yourself without the benefit of like 120 games to go? How do you get yourself to be like, well, you know what? Okay. My numbers are probably gonna be garbage this year. I shouldn't take that with me into this at bat. I I mean, I I think that's something that we probably all underestimate. Uh, The Cubs are doing a great job telling us that they know the numbers don't matter this year. They were saying that before the season started uh, during, you know, whatever you want, training camp or whatever. They they repeated it over and over again. I can I can see the Zoom calls, see see them telling us this, that this year we we cannot. We've talked about it. We're not going to care about the numbers. We know that they're not going to look right. One slump is going to throw everything off. And, and the reality is, you know, Javi and Bryant and all these, a lot of these guys, their numbers may not look good by the end of the season. All that matters is that they get on a hot streak at the right time, right? They figure things out. They get healthy if it's a health issue and, and get going. Uh, that's all that's going to really matter in the long run. Uh, but, but the numbers are just going to look off and it's going to be hard for us to take stuff away from this season as, you know, people that analyze this stuff. And then, it, it's got to be f***ing with them mentally. It, it, it has to. I, I see it, it's a nightly occurrence where you hear these loud bangs from the dugout after a Javi strikeout. It, like, I, I'm not even exaggerating there. Yesterday I heard it. Uh, you just, you can, it has to be uh, grading to Javi. Someone who does do a really good job in the past of just forgetting the previous at bat. I mean, if there's anybody in baseball that does a great job of just like putting everything that happened before away and then going and hitting a three-run homer, it's Avi, right? We've seen him have awful games. Oh, this guy looks lost. And then he comes up with the biggest hit of the night because that's just what Javi does. So I think with him, it's like a there's like this weird balance of of he's going to be furious about the results immediately, but I think we can kind of trust that he's he's able to put that away. Uh, but there's other there's so many other factors there uh, with him. I, you know, I do wonder how much a lack of fans is impacting him and, and his ability to really get into the moment because uh, he does feed off that. Uh, but all these guys, uh, you know, it, it, it's hard to know what they're going to be and how and how they mentally really take in looking up at that video board and seeing, you know, 
200 batting average and and saying I, I have to go three for four tonight otherwise you know the longer this strings out the longer I'm going to have uh, to look at these ugly numbers Javi and KB have their production has been worth hundreds of millions of dollars to the Cubs to this point in their career their futures are projected to be worth hundreds of millions of dollars and while that's not the only factor in this I do wonder how much of that uh, creeps into the back of their heads but even that you can't really isolate because like you guys are saying I mean they've these are two of the best guys in terms of being able to kind of focus and produce and kind of block out the noise and ignore the hype but I mean David Ross alluded to this yesterday of just the mental daily stress of this year and whether it's you know not being able to have you kind of your everyday routine uh video is not as prevalent though the Cubs have not exactly been like you know JD Martinez over the years in that regard uh you're talking about living in isolation essentially I mean certain players have not brought their families out here you have the protocols at the end of the game you can't really blow off steam it's kind of go back to your hotel room um uh on the road and obviously you know getting into a flow is really difficult when you know you have a series in st louis uh that's wiped out because of uh, a coronavirus outbreak so um yeah i think it'd be really interesting to see how those two guys in particular uh respond here over the next you know several weeks one more thing on on those two and we can pivot off of it if you guys want but i think it's important to note that we can't divine what's going on between another human's ears. And that's, that's probably just a good general life thing. But so when we comment upon, you know, what the year looks like, what the contract statuses are, things like that, you know, I don't want it to seem like we are grafting on these guys, things that we have concluded. But I think at the same time, it is very fair to point out that for Javi and KB, in particular, you're talking about two guys for whom the subject of extensions, massive extensions, has been talked about for a long time. They are guys for whom free agency looms after next year, for whom they are approaching 30 when they're going to be free agents. And they've now had this massive disrupted year in their second to last year before free agency, like the time that you should be peaking your value to either look ahead to free agency or sign that massive extension. And not only is this year massively disrupted, you have the whole of baseball not knowing what the finances are going to look like this offseason. And that's completely out of your control. You did nothing wrong. You were performing until this year at a high clip, and that probably took a lot of money out of your pocket. And then you've got to try to perform in this short BS season to put up the numbers just to say, hey, whatever's happening at a macro level, look, that I have nothing to do with that. I'm still performing. I'm still putting up huge numbers. So if anybody is still going to get paid in this world where the value of players is increasingly stratified, I mean, hell, look at the Mookie Betts deal. Do you think a guy half of Mookie's value is going to get a deal half of Mookie's price tag in this environment? Hell no. And so if you are a guy like KB or Javi, I think you know in the back of your head that if you don't look 
balls out this year, all the excuses are there now for you to not be justified in receiving a huge extension. And I just think, and you're, and you're probably stewing about it because it's not fair. You didn't do anything to deserve this timing. Um, but there it is. And then you get off to a slow start and, you know, I just, I think it's probably hard to kick that aside. Um, so anyway, you guys want to say anything else about KB Javi or, I mean, there are other guys who are slumping recently. Wilson Contreras got off to a massively hot start in that first week. Uh, and then since then his strikeout rate has crept up toward 40%, um, still making very hard contact when he does, but it, it, it has this sort of small sample, but classic feel of a guy who came into the season with a slightly different approach. Um, and pitchers adjusted very quickly to take advantage of what is a bit more of an aggressive uh, lofted mindset for him that has produced that very, very hard contact, but then made him a little bit more susceptible to the swing and miss. Yeah. I think overall, when you look at the guys, I mean, you look at the team's numbers strikeout rate, I I believe is 28% right now for the team. And that's tops in baseball contact rate is somewhere uh, like in the bottom five of baseball, right? So two issues that fans kind of have been harping on for years, right? The strikeout rate is a little odd to me because they've mostly been like middle of the pack, right? Uh, It's the contact that they've always been in the bottom 10, if not the worst since 2015. So it's a, you know, you'd, those two don't really go hand in hand strikeout rate and contact rate. They don't have to be, uh, kind of the same, you know, terrible at both. I think I think when you look at the four, Schwarber, Contreras, Javi, Bryant, as long as they're healthy, which is a question with Bryant, the answer that I asked Ross about his at-bats, about Bryant's at-bats last night, and uh, or Bryant's at-bats in general, I asked him about that last night, and he, he basically, the answer was, I'm not really going to analyze his swing because I don't, it, it was an answer saying he's, out there playing through a lot of stuff he's banged up he's not a hundred percent but he's out there playing because that's what he wants to do and he's good enough to play I think is the basic message is he's good enough to play but he's not a hundred percent so I'm not going to harp on this right now obviously not ideal obviously not something that Cubs fans want to hear because we've seen this story unfold before hopefully it's not like the knee and the shoulder uh, I don't know for sure if it's the elbow or the back or what it is, but it's it's obviously Little Nick's uh, keeping him from being himself. Uh, but the other three, at minimum, they, they've all had issues in the past, but they're not going to strike out this much. They're just, I mean, yeah, I guess the whole factor of it's 60 games and we can't really know how they, how they handle it and maybe they just press. Uh, that's the one factor that tells me maybe there's a chance that this continues. But in my mind, when I look at the overall offense, when I look at the, what's really holding them back, it's strikeout and contact. And I think uh, I liked what Ross said uh, before the games uh, yesterday when I asked him, can you be a, a team, does this team to really reach its potential need to become some sort of great contact hitting team? He's like, we're not going to change who we are. Some guys just aren't contact hitters. I don't want them to just try and make contact for the sake of contact because that that's going to lead to things to bad things, right? Weak contact and and pop ups and weak ground outs and whatnot. So so I think there is a way for this team to succeed. Go back and look at 2016 offense. They they were not some great contact hitting team. They were not some elite low strikeout team. They just weren't the worst in baseball. Uh, 
if they can get to the middle range or moving forward from now be a middling team in contact and strikeout, I think the other pluses of the offense walks power in particular the grinding nature of the of the offense which is what which was a hallmark of the 2016 team that can lead them to kind of over uh, kind of compensate for those for the other issues and and with the pitching and with the bullpen kind of settling in and the defense that should lead to enough for them to be a really good team 60 games it's all kind of up in the air right so I don't want to say that with any authority but in a normal season, I'd feel comfortable saying that. Now I feel kind of safe saying it, knowing that it's weird and anything can happen this year. Okay, I got to slide in real quick because Mooney will say something really um, thoughtful and it'll get me off on another tangent. But I, because I don't want to lose this, because I was while you were talking, side of I was curious about that 2016 team relative to strikeout rate. I was sort of like trying to remember, yeah, where did they live? And they, they like you said, it was really more of middle of the packed kind of thing. And what's interesting. Among the semi-regulars, um, I mean, heck, even am- among the like everyday players, Javi's strikeout rate was the highest that year, and it was only 24%, which is pretty incredible when you think about it. And then above him, this is, this is just fun, the highest strikeout rate on the team among the semi-regulars was 26.3%. So again, the rates that we're talking about right now with guys are in the high 30s right now. So this is yeah. really bizarre. But you know who it was? It was David Ross, twenty six point three percent. Isn't that funny? The highest uh, that year. So, just a little fun fact. He said he, he likes contact too. He's like, I'm a I'm a contact. I like contact hitters. Well, uh, that's the thing. He's he slugged really well that year. If, if you guys remember that final year, it wasn't just the home run off Andrew Miller. I mean, he had a two seventeen ISO. Most of his offensive value was built on his power. So, take that, David Ross. <laughs> I did go down that baseball reference page uh, a couple days ago when the Cubs were talking about uh, one through nine. I've never seen it like this before here. And then I was like, wait a second. Like you're talking about, they still haven't replaced Dexter Fowler. And I mean, Dexter Fowler to be fair is not really the Dexter Fowler of 2016 anymore. I mean, he's batting like eighth last night, still a real nice player. Uh, but we've seen, they haven't been able to replace that. You had Ben Zobrist at like the peak of his like world series MVP power. Uh, Addison Russell had so much confidence, had this career year before his, you know, kind of personal life uh, unraveled off the field. Uh, You even had someone like Jorge Soler, even though he hadn't fully developed yet into that like 50 Homer guy that he's become with the Royals. He still was like a presence that the opposing team really had to kind of uh, account for. And I think that, just to circle back to what you said, Brett, I appreciate you kind of clarifying that. Like we can't get inside their heads, but you know, we do know that, you know, Javi coming into this year was said to be extremely motivated. He knew how close he was to an extension that, and I think he now knows how close he is to free agency. I think there's part of him that wants to prove that he is, you know, the man and, and deserves that. And I think that can be a really powerful thing uh, to, paraphrase david ross he always says things are real or powerful um and you know kb came in here saying how you know having a kid um really kind of centered him and gave him you know a new perspective uh kind of on the world and i think both those things can be true as well and by the time we record this next podcast here i think they've got what three more games things could look different and i don't know in 2020 uh in terms of like 
things I'm going to wake up worrying about. Like if you're a Cubs fan, like KV and Javi probably um, are not on the list. Yeah, I think that we probably, if it hadn't become such a, a big discussion point in the last two days, I think that, uh, that being the offense and some of these guys, I think our, I think our worry would have been something more like, man, this Cubs rotation was just rolling. Everybody was clicking. Yeah, there was some fortuitousness in there, but also it just seemed like guys were really on. Even the one bad Tyler Chatwood start, with it probably wasn't as bad as the results looked. And then this weekend happens, and you have Chatwood going on the injured list with a back issue. You had uh, Alec Mills cruising, just mwah, chef kiss for six innings, and then you know, boom, 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 gives up the shot to Christian Yelich that you just, I don't know. I always wonder about how those things affect a guy. And then you had um, a fill-in start from Colin Ray that was, you know, to me, underscored perhaps his value as a reliever, not so much as a starter. You had a fill-in from Tyson Miller, his his debut. Got a couple, you know, usable innings from him, but but he did not look ready. Um, Jose Quintana is not going to be coming back this week for this series. Uh, John Lester got blown up a bit uh, by the Brewers. I mean, like the the biggest and best story of the first part of the season when the Cubs were winning every day was that rotation. And yet, I don't know. I'm not super panicked about it, even after, you know, five days of like the hits keep coming. Um, maybe that's just in part because I look at this week as so bizarre and fractured and like two seven inning double headers and fill in guys. It's sort of like, eh, I'm not really going to learn anything this week about the rotation at large. So whatever. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I still feel like the the rotation, I, I, I see where you're coming from. I guess I just look at it more like as little blips uh, for a solid group. Like I kind of knew that John Lester is going to have moments where uh, like he's going to give up some hard contact occasionally uh, when he's not getting some calls on the edges, especially at the lower part of the zone. He's going to have to come up a little bit and, and that's going to lead to some hard contact. And that's going to, and the fact that it was only five runs the other day, almost feels like like he got away with one and right? to like, be fair one of those was like a three-run shot from orlando arcia which that just doesn't count when you're playing the cubs because he <laughs> hits everybody like he's mike trout so against the was cubs. his the was that the one it was the where... one that was like four inches inside it was yeah, a good pitch yeah. it wasn't even a bad i don't know pitch. how he hit that i still don't i i still i don't get how that stayed fair and lester was kind of perplexed by that too i I don't get it i don't know how the physics of it even works like how do you get that pitch so far inside turn on it and and keep it fair but yet the the pitching it still was like for me i was coming into the weekend what i was curious about was how is this team going to handle losing because eventually there's going to be a bad moment I think they, you know, we, we saw them kind of handle that pretty well. They they didn't, they could have, that second game very easily could have crawled into a shell and said, okay, let's get them tomorrow. Five game losing streak. This sucks. Everybody's down. We can't hit right now. We're in a funk. Okay, whatever. Reset on Tuesday. They didn't. They kept going. I'll give them credit for that. I don't know if teams quit uh, very often, if teams uh, allow that to happen, but this team certainly didn't allow that to happen. So you give them some props for that. The other thing that I'm, I, I was curious about is just how they handle really good pitching. And, and in particular high leverage moments uh, uh, late in the game went down and we saw that all weekend and they were, 
it wasn't as if they were completely shut down because they did make some nice comebacks over the weekend. But it's just, I mean, I, I tweeted this, uh, uh, Brett, I think you were tweeting about Ryan Tapera, how well he's doing. And I, I kind of mentioned in the piece that I wrote today, there's a ton of good relievers in the AL and NL Central. Like These guys all miss bats. 15 of the top 25 relievers when it comes to strikeout percentage are in the AL and NL Central. Like if the Cubs are down against these teams, they're going to be facing guys that miss bats. Like these relievers come in. The Brewers have like four of the top 12 strikeout rate guys in their bullpen. I mean, that's just a pain in the butt to face. And I want to see how this team can. That's why what we were talking about earlier, that it has to start going in the right direction because you're down three to two late against a lot of these ALNL Central teams. You're probably losing the game. They're bringing in a reliever that you're not hitting. Uh, so you either need to start to work like counts against these really good uh, pitchers better or, or find a way to battle. And I I think this team has that talent, but that's my concern moving forward. How do they handle these elite relievers when they start facing better starters? How do they handle that? I'm, I guess I'm just not worried about the starters. Even Chatwood's back right now from what we understand it's yeah, he's on the IL. He he re-aggravated it. I, I just don't see it being a major issue, concern just yet. Uh, I, I think all these starters look pretty solid, and, you know, you can get spot starts from certain guys. Yeah, does Colin Ray or Tyson Miller look like they're easy fill-ins? No, no, no. I don't know if they have the depth that you absolutely need, uh, but but I like, especially the front, I, I trust every single time Hendricks and Darvish go out there. Like, I was surprised. Hendricks didn't finish that off with just one run in seven innings yesterday, honestly. Like, that seventh inning was a little bit of a surprise uh, more than anything. And he he looks locked in. Darvish, I don't expect Darvish to kind of skip a beat. I think he's locked in. And and uh, those two guys leading the way and the veteran uh, that Lester is, I think you guys – I think you got three guys there and Mills actually impresses me with his like kind of calm demeanor. I know you said you, you don't know how that home run may affect a guy. I think with him, like the fact that he like bounced back immediately, it was like, he was it's almost true. like, Oh wait, I, Oh, I left a change up high. Okay. Reset myself. Chill. Okay. I got this. And then he just mowed him down the rest of the way. Uh, yeah, I, I think he's got, and they've talked about it too, for years about this guy just handles himself really well on the mound has good composure. You know, that also sometimes it can just be like BS, right? They're just saying something because the guy doesn't have a 95 mile per hour fastball and like some nasty breaking ball that blows people away. It's like, oh, we like his mound presence. It's like, okay, so that so what you're telling me is he has average stuff because I don't know what else (laughs) what else is going on there. But I think it's legit with him. He doesn't seem to get rattled. Brett, I really like your podcast presence. And I also enjoyed (laughs) on. Feature Nation, I thought you did a good job of tying into kind of just what the Brewers have done to the Cubs in recent seasons, and I think that kind of factored into how we process those three one-run games uh, over the weekend because, you know, we start out uh, complaining about the Cubs' bullpen and, you know, saying how bad it is, and then they usually kind of get their stuff together and, you know, put up you know some pretty good numbers over the long haul and then you see those uh big innings early like jumping out to a three nothing lead and you're like all right the cubs are in control here but they don't knock out the starter they don't kind of put them away and then all of a sudden there's like seven zeros up on the wrigley field scoreboard 
And that's something that has certainly frustrated Cubs management over the years. And I think you saw that play out, um, you know, over the last couple games here. And, uh, you know, I think the Brewers, we always kind of underestimate them. They'll, they're probably going to hang around here just because of the way they kind of utilize their personnel. And they really have, you know, it seems to be really strong uh, leadership. But I do think there's kind of a danger of letting the Cardinals kind of get off the mat here and create some momentum. And I think that's why last night's win was um, so big because the Cardinals are probably going to hit a wall uh, at some point. And as Rizzo said, they seem to really enjoy just being able to be back out on the field again. But um, this is a chance to really uh, set themselves up for – uh, the next couple weeks here and they kind of let the Brewers get back into it. And I think there's a danger in letting the Cardinals get, you know, kind of too much uh, momentum here. So the Cubs and Cardinals will have three more um, after today. Well, including tonight. Uh, interesting. The Cubs have only three more games left this year against the Brewers and don't play them again until mid September. So at least if that is your, particular flavor of annoyance as it I think has been for not only me, but many Cubs fans over the last few years that they just, just won't go away. They're just at an individual game level. And then also late in the season, like they just are so annoying. So I'm looking forward to not having to watch the Cubs play the Brewers for a few weeks, but uh, how much, how much do Cubs fans love how the Brewers just keep producing these elite relievers that just, can throw in the upper 90s and miss bats like like it's just like second nature well did you know who Devin Williams was uh coming into the weekend no. maybe coming into the weekend but coming into the season no I mean who the the one appearance I know is? everything I need to know <laughs> and it's that it's that uh he has a top of the league spin rate and he has a very dirty brim that's all I'm saying <laughs> all I'm saying Go back and watch the tape. I'm just pointing it out. Well, no, maybe the Cubs need to start dirtying up their brims. Well, that's then. the thing. Okay. <laughs> We're going to get on a quick tangent. I got it because, you know, you, when you're tweeting or even when you're writing, you can't necessarily provide the full context or intonation or how you want to say things. And, like, I do want to share something. So, obviously, Trevor Bauer is the one who brought a lot of this to the spotlight. A couple of years ago, guys would go to the Astros, the – and, and this was also when spin rate was becoming more um, ensconced in our, the, the way we think about baseball. It's not like we haven't known and talked about it for a while, but it wasn't until the last three or four years that the data was available to us. And we could sort of see the impact that spin rate and spin efficiency would have on pitches, would have on the batter, et cetera, et cetera. So two years ago, you know, it became a big conversation. Guys would go to the Astros and suddenly the spin rate on their pitches would leap significantly. And of course, there are ways to do that. I think, I think we're learning that maybe there's a little bit more in terms of what you can do with spin efficiency, um, just by mechanics, by grip, by these things. Actual spin rate. Um, well, I'll leave it to Bauer himself, who said, you know, hey, there is no way that you can add 400 r 400 RPMs to your fastball, to your standard fastball, without a grip enhancement. Can't do it. Can't be done. Two years later he has jumped 400 RPMs in his fastball this yeah. year and he is dominating. And um, so that kind of put it on my radar to just be paying attention to this stuff a lot more. And I'm looking at Garrett Cole, who of course was sort of the exemplar of this conversation with the Astros two years ago. 
the video when he's going to the brim of his hat and his fingers get stuck <laughs> to the brim of his hat. It's like, how can we not say something when it's like, you know? So anyway, that yeah. again, I was watching Devin Williams and there was just something about the life on his pitches that I was like, good God, this guy is unbelievable. And so I, I started looking up his spin rate. I started watching the trim of his hat carefully. And <laughs> he goes to it and he does a real just tight pinching pinching squeeze on the brim of his hat so now i'm watching cubs pitchers closely Uh, for that too of course and i'll yeah they better start doing it is my yeah good good i I, i'm fine with it is my like i'm fine with that yeah you know do whatever you can well no no you know what no i shouldn't say i shouldn't say i shouldn't i was just sort of like gonna be like yeah yeah yeah, we're wrapping up the pod you know (laughs) there uh, i hate gray lines but there has to be something where it's like if you're getting grip we all want that we all want that for pitchers, but like if you're the guy who is creating a concoction that specifically, boom, leaps your spin rate by 400 RPMs, <laughs> yeah, something about that is a bit too much for me. Right. All right, okay. Anyway, uh, this was fun. <laughs> uh, thank you, folks, as always, for listening. This is Ant Waveland. It's Cubs podcast here at the Athletic. That is Sahadev Sharma and Patrick Mooney of The Athletic. Read their fantastic stuff as always. Uh, you can get my stuff at Bleacher Nation. I'm Brett Taylor. And this podcast is available anywhere you get your podcasts. And so I hope you subscribe. Hope you rate and review. Listen. Tell your friends. Tell your mom. Tell your dad. Tell your sister and your brother. And we will be back with you later this week. And uh, thank you, folks. Goodbye. Goodbye.